This episode features dramatizations of gore and discussions of colonialism, natural disasters, and human sacrifice. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Kamazots. Today's episode combines elements from a number of indigenous Mayan legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and welcome to Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is Mythical Monsters, Nightmare Creatures. This season, we begin our journey through this hellish dreamscape with a trip to what is now Southeastern Europe to see the flesh-eating Mares of Diomedes and then to the Caribbean to meet the shape-shifting Sukuyat. Now we head south and a little west to modern-day Guatemala, where we'll meet a bloodthirsty monster as old as time itself. Today we meet a Mesoamerican monster based on a real prehistoric creature. The Kamazats is a giant vampire bat with a knife-like nose. It's at home in both the underworld and the apocalypse, and it specializes in slicing heads. Coming up, a hungry beast takes flight. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. The Kamazots is the fearsome bad god of the Quiche Maya, who come from the region we now call Guatemala. Today, the Quiche still make up about 11% of the country's population. The persistence of their Quiche culture, despite Spanish colonization, is largely owed to their sacred text, the Popol Vuh. Originally transcribed around 1550, the Popol Vuh tells the story of the Quiche from the world's creation to the formation of society and beyond. The book is best known for the adventures of the heroic twins Hunapu and Shibalanke, but the Kamazats makes a few notable appearances. In one, it's as a deadly threat to the twins. They're challenged to an overnight trip by the Lords of Death, during which a large bat with sharp jaws and claws decapitates one of the twins. The bat carries the head back to the Lords of Shibalba, and they play a ball game with it. Its next appearance elevates the Kamazats from mere monster to the god of night, death, and sacrifice. In this story, a bat-like messenger negotiates with the god Tohil on behalf of the lords of Shibalba, trading the promise of human sacrifice for the gift of fire. But our story today has to do with the Kamazats' first appearance in Quiche legend, back when, as they believe, humans were made out of wood. 
These humans were not able to properly worship the gods, so their creators, the maker and modeler, sent them a flood. They sent a rain of resin to burn and slow them down, and two horrible jaguars to rip them to pieces. They sent Gouger of Faces, a monstrous vulture, to peck out their eyes. And of course, they sent Sudden Bloodletter to snap off their heads, the Great Bat Kamazots. The Great Flood was violent and vast. It washed almost every man of wood from the earth. The world was ending, but there were some survivors clinging on as best they could. We call two of them Blood and Body. The reason will be known soon enough. Blood didn't remember a day when she wasn't floating along on a tiny raft. The floodwaters had swallowed everything, leaving only the very tops of the tallest ancient trees, their branches thicker than a man's torso. Resin fell from the sky, sticky and hot. Vultures swooped down from above, talons outstretched. Jaguars prowled the parts of the tree canopy that remained above the water, tearing apart any that sought shelter. Blood prayed to the maker and modeler every day, begging for forgiveness for whatever she and her people had done wrong. But the gods didn't listen to her. In fact, they acted as if she hadn't said anything at all. It was true that she spoke only with her hands and not her mouth. This was how they'd made her. She didn't know why. She didn't expect to. All she could do was pray. She had to keep trying to reach them. Maybe the maker and the modeler spoke differently, thought differently. Maybe if Blood found the right words, the right signs, she could get through. Sometimes she heard the Maker try to explain the cause, that she and the other people of Wood could not comprehend the world around them. Supposedly, they lacked sense. Maybe that was why the gods didn't answer. Maybe that was why they had no qualms about wiping their creations from the Earth. Blood did comprehend the world, she signed. She just couldn't understand its cruelty. Blood's husband, Body, didn't talk much. His relationship with the gods was more adversarial. When he did speak, he told Blood that they were fighting the gods in their own way. Sometimes revenge was just surviving. Blood refused to think of the maker and modeler as malevolent. Out of touch, perhaps, but they wouldn't intentionally wish them evil, would they? Body sat hunched at the front of the raft. He stared out at the gray sky, the skeletons of the drowned trees. Sometimes when the current was slow, blood simply sat beside him, holding him. He kissed her head in thanks, but kept his eyes on the horizon. Until one day, he saw something. He signed to her excitedly, blood, look, land. A great mountain towered before them. It didn't smoke the way some of the others did. It was lush and green, and as Blood saw, had an entrance to a cave. The idea of solid land was too good to pass up. It had been many, many moons since they'd seen real ground, let alone touched it. Blood and body rushed to it, tugging the raft up onto a stone ledge. 
They were relieved to discover that the cave was only a small recess. There were no tunnels to hide jaguars, bats, or other frightening creatures of the dark. In the early days of the flood, they'd taken shelter in the caves their village had used to store food. But the jaguars had made the tunnels their own, swallowing other survivors. When prey became scarce, they took over the trees. There was no such danger here. Blood and body embraced, collapsing on the stone ground. They ate sweet, milky soursop fruit. They danced and laughed for the first time in a long while. Maybe it was a blessing from the gods, or maybe the gods didn't feel like harming them today. Blood prayed for the former with all her heart. Blood woke to find moonlight streaming into the cave. It gleamed off the stone floor. She hadn't seen moonlight on a surface that wasn't wood or water for so long. Blood crawled to the cave mouth and placed her hand in the beam, making shadow puppets on the shining stone. Suddenly, a dark shape swept over the moon above, swallowing the light completely. Blood staggered backwards and fled back into the cave. She roused body, her hands flying to get the words out. There's something there. It flies. Body scanned the mouth of the cave. The moonlight had returned eerie white. The sky beyond was the deepest, darkest blue. Blood signed quickly. What do we do? Body kissed her on the head, reassuring. I will see what it is. Blood clutched at him. Be careful. Body smiled, signing, When am I not? Blood rolled her eyes. Body crawled silently towards the moonbeam. He edged around it, his body pinned to the wall of the cave. He stopped just before the mouth and looked up. Blood watched him search the sky, hugging her knees. She waited for what felt like an eternity. Then, Body's mouth fell open. He shrank back. Even though the creature shouldn't have been able to see him, he stumbled towards Blood's arms. It's a bat. Blood sighed in relief. Poor thing. Maybe we can give it some soursop. Body shook his head. No, Blood. It's knife-nosed. Blood's eyes went wide. She knew these creatures. She'd found them nestled in the fur of the animals they hunted, their two sharp teeth glinting with red. But she hadn't seen any drinking bats since before the flood. She thought they all washed away with their hosts. The bats always frightened her, but they'd been no larger than her arm, certainly not intimidating enough to frighten body. She looked at him for clarification. How big? A horrible screech shook the cave. It was followed by a strange series of clicks. She felt a strange, invisible impact on her body, then a wave of nausea, as if she'd been shaken by an earthquake. She grabbed onto the cave wall for support. She imagined those pointed teeth again, teeth the size of her head. Blood began to hyperventilate. She looked into Body's eyes, tears forming. What do we do? A screech interrupted Body's signing before he could answer. 
Darkness swallowed the moonlight once again. Blood thought the stars had gone out all at once. Then the darkness moved to reveal leathery wings covering the mouth of the cave. Coming up, Kamazat stalks the survivors. Since the beginning of time, people have wanted to believe in an afterlife. Hi listeners, I'm Shelby Scott. In Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast, I take a closer look at the mortal lives of spiritualists who claim to communicate with the dead and the scientists who tried to debunk them. This eight-episode series looks at paranormal events proven to be hoaxes and those which have mystified even the world's greatest skeptics. Mixing history, mystery, and social psychology, Mediums asks how these self-proclaimed psychics pulled off the illusion of interacting with the dead, even under a microscope of criticism. Were they all simply peddling parlor tricks, or was there something truly paranormal going on? Break out your Ouija board, dust off your crystal ball, or light some candles, because Parcast is ready to reveal what's really known about the unknown. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Mediums, Summon new episodes every Wednesday, free and only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Blood clasped Body's hand as they backed away from the giant bat together. The monster stood at the mouth of the cave. Its massive body and wings blocked out nearly all the moonlight. Blood's eyes adjusted to the darkness. She realized that the bat's wingspan was too large for the cave entrance. It couldn't fit in. She let out a breath of relief. Then the bat folded in its wings. It skittered farther into the cave like an insect. It had sharp, small points for feet, bony thumbs at the end of its wings. It couldn't fly, but it would get to them all the same. The bat's large ears rotated slightly as it clicked, searching for its prey in the tight space. Its almost human jaw hung wide, showing off its fangs. Blood's back hit the stone wall behind her. She gulped. There was nowhere to go. The bat was still coming, but the cave tapered at the back. The bat skittered closer. It wedged itself into the tunnel until it couldn't move any closer. It was stuck. The bat let out an angry screech and threw itself against the stone, hoping to widen the passage. A long, pink tongue extended from its mouth, reaching for blood and body. Small rocks began to fall from the roof of the cave. The cavern shook in warning. Blood's heart thundered in her chest. If the bat didn't kill them, a cave-in would. Blood signed goodbye to Body. He signed it back, giving her a quick kiss. The bat screeched at them. Their ears bled. It rammed itself against the walls of the tunnel again and again. Then it stopped. The rocks were beginning to fall behind it. It seemed to know the dangers of a collapse as much as blood and body did. 
The beast backed towards the entrance, half hopping as it went. It offered one more blood-soaked smile. Then it disappeared from sight. Blood looked at body. It couldn't be that easy. She looked at the entrance. The moon was still high in the sky, and the night was deep. Dawn was far away. Blood signed first. What do we do? Body had gone still again. He sat down, staring at the entrance. Blood got down beside him. No, please, stay here. Stay with me. She shook him. Body didn't respond. Blood pushed and pulled at him. He didn't move. When she'd exhausted herself, tears streaming down her face, she curled up a few feet away, knees tight to her chest again. They sat in silence for far too long. The sky lightened from deep blue to purple. Finally, body began to sign. It's Kamazots. It must be. What other bat thing is that large? Blood blinked at him, confused. Kamazots is a god. Body nodded. Blood let out a groan. She signed rapidly. Why would they send a god after us? What have we done? Body leaned back against the wall of the cave. I don't know, but there's something more important. Blood glared at him. What more could there be? Body adjusted his posture, uncomfortable. You can't kill a god. He returns to the lords of death as he pleases. This is the end, Blood. I'm sorry. Blood got up, angry. No, I won't let it be. We don't know how long he will stay. We don't know what he wants. Body didn't let her finish. He wants us. He looked down, realizing the harshness of his hands. I'm sorry. He wants us for now. And we don't know when he won't. We will starve here, waiting. Blood paced. No, all we do is wait. It can't end this way. Body glared at her. What do you suggest we do? Blood glared back. I suggest we try to fight or escape or something. She saw the way that Body was looking at her, eyes burning. Maybe we can sneak out? Body stood up to meet her, incredulous. You want to assume he'll leave when the sun rises? That's your grand plan? Blood's chest was tight. They'd never fought like this. They'd never argued. They'd only been together a little while before the floods began. They were bonded in pain, but now they were hurting each other. Her signs were halting, apologetic. No, I just don't want to give up. Please, body. His gestures were wide and fast as he marched towards the entrance. It is dawn. Why don't we poke our heads out and see if he's there? Blood chased after him, holding him back. No, no, I'm not asking for that. Don't pretend I was. Body pushed her away from him, signing as he kept backing towards the mouth of the cave. I mean, who cares if we die here or there, right? As long as we're not waiting. Blood rushed forward, 
but he'd already crossed to the part of the cave where the moonlight glowed through, where the Kamazats might be able to see them. She stopped short, chest heaving in panic. Body, please come back. But he turned away from her. Blood's hands quivered with rage and helplessness. Body tiptoed to the far left side of the opening, crouched onto the floor, and stuck his head out of the cave. He peered left around the wall of the cave. His head disappeared from view. Blood reached pointlessly for her husband. He was only ten feet away, but there was no safe way to reach him. The horrible clicking returned. Blood's heart pounded. She signed even though he couldn't see her. Body, body, please come back. The clicking got louder. Blood's body shook. Body wasn't moving. He still had his whole torso out of the cave, looking around the exterior wall. He had to know Kamazatz was coming. What was he doing? Kamazatz screeched. The bat was right above them. She was sure of it. Blood pushed through her fear and leaped forward. She grabbed Body's hand. Thank the sky, he didn't resist. He fell back against her. She reached up to cradle his head, but his head wasn't there. Body was just a body. His neck was a wet, globby stump. Blood let out a silent scream and fell backwards, nearly pushing him away from her before realizing that it was Body, her husband. She looked to the cave entrance. His head was sitting there, staring at her with frozen, horrified eyes. Every fiber of her being urged her to collect it, no matter the danger, to bring him back to her, even now. But then Kamazat slammed down from above. It picked up the head and flew off, the beating of its massive wings nearly knocking her off her feet. Blood clutched her husband to her, the remains of her husband. She didn't know how to apologize. She didn't know what to do. Kamazatz was still above the mountain, clicking, screeching, mocking her, torturing her. Blood signed insistently at Body's limp palm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Another monstrous screech shook the cave. Blood flinched, but as she did, she squeezed Body again. Something about that touch, even in death, awoke something in her. Something she'd forgotten. A fierceness that had brought her through the storm and past the jaguars. An anger that sustained her even when the gods didn't believe in her. Gods couldn't be killed, it was true. But gods could be beaten. They could be driven off. And blood was going to try. Coming up, Blood seeks revenge on an immortal monster. Now, back to the story. Blood placed Body's corpse at the very back of the cave, facing the entrance. She wanted to believe he could see the moon and swiftly fading stars, even without a head, and see her exacting vengeance. 
Body had always told her that sometimes survival was a method of revenge. If she could make it to the raft on the stone shore, she could escape. She wanted to imagine that Body was rooting for her even now, and perhaps saying, I told you so. Blood had a plan. She pulled her long hair back to keep it out of her face. The first step was the same as any hunt. She needed a distraction for her prey. She made a rock pile at the back of the cave, just behind her husband. Then she marched towards the entrance, her head held high. Blood stood at the mouth of the cave, bathing in the fading moonlight. The horizon was deep purple. The raft was tantalizingly close, but she knew she wasn't safe. She looked around for the Kamazats. She heard it before she saw it. It circled from behind the mountain. Come on, she signed before he swooped low. It landed, claws outstretched, but she dived out of the way. She scrambled to her feet and ran into the cave. The bat god followed, screeching in what almost sounded like annoyance. Blood raced to the back of the cave. She grabbed the largest rock and threw it at the Kamazats with all her might. It clicked and screeched in response, scuttling forward. Blood threw another rock, another. It wasn't really working, but it didn't have to. As long as it got close enough, Blood would have what she wanted. The Kamazats thrashed and bit at the stones as they flew. It dashed farther into the cave than it intended. Its fur-covered body and spindly folded wings caught on the tight cave walls, blocking out the light from the entrance. Kamazats writhed and twisted. It screeched. Its clicks echoed off the cave walls, shaking blood to the bone. Blood threw her last rock. Kamazats continued to thrash in its confusion. Little by little, it began to shake itself free. Small triangles of light poked through between the flailing animal's limbs. Blood was patient. She watched and waited, holding Body's now cold hand. When one of the triangles was large enough for her to fit through, she ran straight for it. The Kamazats let out an odd chirp of surprise. She drew close enough to the teeth to touch them. Kamazats snapped at her. She slid through the small gap between its wing and the ground. Kamazats screeched in rage and tried to back out of its self-made trap, but it was too slow. Blood barreled to the raft and pushed it into the water. Purple had turned to orange and red. It was dawn. She had to go as far as she could, as fast as she could. She made for the dangerous currents she and Body had always tried to avoid, the ones that seemed like they could carry you off the edge of the earth. Kamazat screamed from within the cave. The rocks wouldn't hold it much longer. Blood had given up on praying to the maker and modeler. She used her hands for paddling instead. Kamazat stumbled out of the cave with a cacophonous clicking. It turned its head, locking eyes with her. It lunged forward. But then it screeched, blinking in the too bright light. The bat shrank back into the cave. Blood made a lewd gesture as she floated away. 
See, body? She signed in the direction of the cave as it faded into the distance. Dawn did help. See? Blood collapsed back at the raft, looking up at the gray sky. She ached for her husband, but she'd made it for now. Kamazats might follow her. She might be eaten by a jaguar or blinded by a vulture. She could simply starve and drown. She didn't know what would happen next. She only knew that she would do her best to survive. Before the arrival of the Spanish, the Quiche were a dominant force in the highlands of Guatemala. But when their enemies, the Cacchiquel, joined with the conquistador Pedro de Alvarado, the Quiche were defeated. Almost immediately, Catholic missionaries attempted conversion. They destroyed many Quiche religious texts and artifacts. But the Quiche culture would prevail. Leaders wrote down their sacred stories in the Popol Vuh, and it was later translated to Spanish, preserving their history. Kamazots is a relatively minor figure in the Popol Vuh. It isn't a villain in its own right, so much as a servant of the sinister Lords of Death. He's a minion of greater destructive forces. If that wasn't scary enough, there's also the monster's real-life inspiration. Desmodus draculae, otherwise known as the giant vampire bat, lived in Central and South America during the Pleistocene Epoch, which ended over 11,000 years ago. It's over 30% larger than its modern-day equivalent, with a skull length of 1.23 inches. It might not sound that big, but that extra size is thought to have made the bats bold enough to feed on larger-than-life prehistoric creatures, like the giant sloth. Luckily, giant vampire bats are believed to be extinct, but the most recently found remains of the creature weren't old enough to be fully fossilized. So if you ever find yourself in Guatemala, it might be better to stay inside until morning. You don't want to lose your head. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another nightmare creature. For more information on Kamazats, we found Dennis Tedlock's translation of the Popol Vuh extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jen Riche, with writing assistance by Stacey Nemec and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi, I'm Shelby Scott, host of Mediums, a new Spotify original from Parcast. 
You can join me Wednesdays as I dive into the world of spiritualism and the women that defined it. We'll explore everything from obvious con artists to 150-year-old mysteries. It'll be a fascinating journey, so be sure to follow my new podcast, Mediums, free and only on Spotify.